You're listening to Conversation with the Experts, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, my name's Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the Tutor Radiographer in Medical Imaging at RCH. Food allergies in children are a very serious matter and there's a lot of rules and regulations about what people can have in certain controlled settings like schools, kindergartens and daycare centres and this is for good reason. A child who comes in contact with a food allergen is at risk of a range of symptoms, which at the most serious can lead to anaphylaxis and even, although rarely, death. So it's important that we know about these and how to treat them. Today I'm joined by Dr. Paulina Alhusema. Paulina is a paediatrician who recently completed subspecialty training in allergy and immunology at RCH and has worked in a number of places around Victoria. She was a contributing author to the new RCH Clinical Practice Guideline on IgE-mediated food allergy, which we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Paulina. Thank you for the invitation, Steve. Can I just start by just nutting out what does IgE stand for? IgE is an antibody, um, which is the main antibody that reacts in immediate food allergies or any immediate allergy. Uh, okay, so I want to actually start by asking a question that I've heard others ask, and it's made me wonder about this myself. Why do kids today seem to be allergic to some foods like nuts more than, say, when I was at school, which was a long time ago? Good question. Um, and we get asked this question many times. The rates of food allergies have increased over time, especially in developed countries around the world and particularly in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, One in 10 infants in Australia will have a food allergy, um, hence why you hear about this topic much more compared to when you were at school, Steve. So if a child eats any food and has a reaction, what's what's the next step that's involved? Um, The next step depends on the type of reaction. Um, So we'll, we'll talk about different allergies, but if it was an immediate food allergy called IgE, mediated food allergy, um, the patient, the child should have an allergy management plan mm-hmm. given by their clinician, yeah. um, which explains what to do in the case of a reaction. For example, in the IgE mediated, the immediate food allergies, if a child has a rash or a lip or eye swelling or a vomit, then the parent can give them a non-drowsy antihistamine like cetirizine, yep. um, for example, Zyrtec, which is the brand, or loratadine, for example, Claritine. Yeah. But if they show any signs of difficulty breathing, for example, lots of coughing or noisy breathing or difficulty swallowing, um, or any signs that their circulation may be affected, they appear pale or lethargic, then they need adrenaline. Any families do have a adrenaline at home in an auto-injector, like an EpiPen, yep. then this should be, be given straight away and then call the ambulance. If they don't have an EpiPen, then they have to call an ambulance immediately. Um, so these severe reactions are called, what we call anaphylaxis. And if it's not necessarily an allergy, it, it could be like an intolerance, right? Like a lactose intolerance or something like that. How can we distinguish between the two? Good question. This is also another common confusion question from families. There are different types of food allergies and reactions. One is what we've mentioned is an IgE-mediated food allergy. So IgE is the antibody which is involved in these immediate reactions. Um, And these occur soon after eating a food and can present with features we just discussed, for example, rashes and swelling and severe reactions like anaphylaxis. Mm -hmm. 
Another is called non-IgE, so it's not mediated, mediated by this antibody. Um, so non-IgE food allergies, and these are delayed reactions after eating a food, which can take hours to days. So it's very different. Um, and these ones usually consist of gut symptoms like diarrhea or, or vomiting. There are a few types of these delayed allergies, but they are treated differently um, and they are not at risk of anaphylaxis. But are these delayed ones, are they different from an intolerance? So then there's another group called intolerances yeah. to foods, um, and these are not considered an allergy. Um, and most common types that you'd hear in this group are the lactose and fructose intolerance. Right. And these are also not at risk of anaphylaxis. Uh, and treatment is based on reducing the trigger foods from the diet to reduce the person's patient's symptoms. Right. So not at risk of an anaphylaxis, but just might, them, might make them feel uncomfortable yeah, or something bloated like that. and just uncomfortable. Yeah, right. We should then expect that all food allergies to show the same symptoms for an individual. Is that what we should be expecting? Not necessarily. So the reactions may vary even in the same person and even with the same food. Mm -hmm. So the same food may give sometimes a mild to moderate reaction in one occasion and a more severe reaction another time. Um, and it could also depend on how the food was prepared, if it was cooked or raw, the amount that was eaten, and even how the person was feeling on the day. For example, mm -hmm. if they had a cold or were sick with another illness. Yeah. Um, hence why it's important to know what to do with any food reaction, even if your child has only presented mild symptoms in the past, um, especially with the IgE-mediated reactions. So sometimes you can have a mild to moderate reaction or a severe reaction like anaphylaxis. Okay. So let's talk more about the IgE-mediated food allergy. Can you give us a rundown of the update to the CPG? So the IgE-mediated food allergy CPG relates to immediate reactions to foods, which is the ones we've mainly talked about. Yeah. Um, it gives a general definition, a background, then discusses assessment of suspected food allergies, followed by a differential diagnosis, management, discharge planning, and long-term follow-up. There are also links to allergy management plans, parent information resources, and ASCIA guidelines. So ASCIA, which I'll mention a few times, um, is the Australasian Society of Clinical Immunology and Allergy, which is the peak professional body in Australia for allergy and immune disorders. And what are the most common foods that this relates to then? So the common food triggers for immediate IgE type reactions are the classical ones, the cow's milk, mm -hmm. soy, eggs, wheat, peanut, tree nuts, sesame, fish and shellfish. Right. Within, awesome. Yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, there's more. <laughs> Within the tree nuts, <laughs> we have cashews, pistachios, walnuts, pecans, macadamia, almonds, hazelnut, and brazil nuts. Right. But immediate food allergies can be triggered by many foods, but these are the most common. These um, reactions tend to be immediate. Um, and what type of reactions are we talking about? The reactions can be mild to moderate as we've mentioned, and those are the ones that involve the skin right. or your gut or gastrointestinal tract. Yep. The skin signs can be a rash, which can be, appear like hives or welts, mm -hmm. which are usually itchy. There can be added signs like lip swelling or eye swelling, um, and the child may also feel a bit sick with nausea or vomiting. Yep. And then we have the severe end of the spectrum, which is considered anaphylaxis and can be life-threatening. 
So these reactions involve the airway or your breathing, for example, starting from your tongue. So anywhere from your lips down, so your tongue swelling or feeling tight in the throat or difficulty breathing or noisy breathing or persistent coughing. They can also involve your cardiovascular system or your circulation and you might feel dizzy or look pale or faint. And when we say immediate, how, how much time are we actually talking? Like where, where's our point where we just say, hey, it's been five minutes since you've eaten this food. I think we're in the safe zone. Usually we say within, usually it happens within half an hour, to be honest. But okay. we say usually within an hour, it can also happen. Yeah. It also depends how the food's prepared. For example, if you have a curry with cream and a few cashews in it, mm-hmm. it may take a bit longer to absorb yeah. rather than if you had a straight cashew. This is just an example. Yeah, yeah. So usually it's quite quick, but up to an hour. Yeah. Okay. Usually. Yeah. And can anaphylaxis through the respiratory or cardiovascular symptoms present if there aren't any skin symptoms? Definitely. And important to highlight that you can have difficulty breathing or problems with your circulation without presenting rashes or vomiting. Okay. So the CPG includes assessment and management amongst others. So tell me about the assessment. What do people actually have to do? So if you suspect an immediate food allergy, then it's important to first assess if there's any difficulty breathing, for example, or persistent coughing or concerns with circulation, as this would change your management. So these signs were the signs of anaphylaxis. Yeah. Um, and therefore, if those signs are present, then adrenaline is needed and an ambulance called. Um, some children may need more than one dose of adrenaline which is why you still have to call the ambulance mm-hmm. um, if the families have adrenaline at home. And some may even need intravenous fluids to support the circulation. Yep. Um, and if you assess if a child has only hives or lip swelling, eye swelling, or is just feeling a bit unwell and nauseous or feels a bit sick, then this can be treated with non-drowsy antihistamines like cetirizine, for example, Zyrtec, loretidine, for example, Claritine or Telfast. Yeah, okay. Um, it's also important just to highlight, I just want to highlight here that cetirizine or Zyrtec, which is one of the brands, can be safely used from the age of six months. Okay. And what happens before that? Like if there's, a, if there's something before six months? Uh, usually, we could say five months, but usually that's the age they start having solids anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And there are also differentials in, in the CPG. What kind of differentials are we talking about there? Um, we often see infants who develop rashes only around their mouth after various foods. For example, common ones are tomatoes and eggplants. Mm-hmm. And these rashes are more likely to be contact skin reactions. Um, and this is not a food allergy. So infants' skin can be quite sensitive, especially if the child has eczema. Um, and many foods can cause, cause contact skin reactions. And sometimes children develop rashes for other reasons, for example, a viral illness or eczema, um, and these sometimes also get confused with food allergies. And then on to management, what are the investigations that should be done for the IgE-mediated allergies? So the diagnosis, honestly, is mainly based on the history of the reaction. Um, Hence, it's really important for the families to give the clinician as much detailed report of the incident, especially timelines of when they ate the food and reaction and the reaction was noticed. Photos are great if they have any rashes. Yeah. After all this history taking, if 
it's consistent with a likely immediate food allergy, then allergy testing is performed to confirm the suspected food trigger. So this allergy testing can be done via skin freak test, which is best done via a trained paediatric allergy clinician or paediatric allergy centre. Um, if skin prick test isn't available, then confirmation can also be done via blood test. Right. Many times the history is not consistent with an immediate food allergy, like we talked about the rashes around the mouth, or which is different, um, and it's not consistent with an allergy. In these cases, allergy testing is best not to be done. So what happens then if, a f- if an allergy testing is done, but it's not an immediate food allergy then? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming up with all of you. When skin prick testing or allergy testing on bloods are done for concerns that are not immediate food allergies, then this can lead to misdiagnosis and confusion for families. So allergy testing is not a perfect, accurate test, and particularly in these circumstances can lead to false positive results. Right. which then leads to an unnecessary avoidance of foods and a child's diet can be even become quite restricted. We also know that if a child avoids allergenic foods for a long time, for example, egg or peanuts, yeah. they're at a potential risk for developing a true mediate food, mediated food allergy in the future. Um, hence, avoiding foods unnecessarily can actually cause harm. Right. So that sounds like a pretty big problem then. How can we avoid that issue? Um, If the main thing to highlight is that if there are concerns with a food allergy in a child, it's important to be seen by a clinician that is trained in paediatric food allergy. Yeah. Um, There are some services in the community that offer skin prick testing as the main assessment and some also called allergy services in these circumstances, but the child may not be assessed by a trained paediatric clinician. So skin prick testing isn't a procedure that's difficult, but you need training to understand what skin prick tests to actually do, mm-hmm. depending on the history of the child, um, and then how to interpret them, and then how to manage the outcomes of the tests. So in these skin prick test services, families get skin prick tests for many foods or what's called a panel, regardless of the details, sometimes in the background history, Um, and many times with no consideration on whether the child is actually eating the food without any issues already. Okay. So then the families get results of these tests and are told which ones are positive, and this creates many issues. So to give an example, someone who is eating eggs on a regular occasion then goes and has a skin prick test and the skin prick test says your child is allergic to eggs and they're told not to give them eggs anymore. Exactly. Right. Okay. It creates a problem. Absolutely. <laughs> Jeez. So one, the child may have been eating the food without any problems. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like the egg. Yeah. And then has a mildly positive skin prick test result, in which case is irrelevant because they're eating the food without any reactions. Yeah but then they're told to stop eating it. If this food is, for example, egg or peanuts, and they stop eating these foods, then they may develop an allergy in the future because they stopped eating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the second problem is the child may not be eating the food and they have a positive test and is told to avoid it. At this point, we don't know whether this result is a false positive or a true positive, 
Um, and these services may not offer further testing to clarify these positive results or offer food challenges to clarify if this is a true positive. Yeah. So the child, again, ends up avoiding the food. And if they're not truly allergic, again, may end up being allergic later because they're avoiding the food. Yeah. And three, <laughs> if a child is truly allergic to a food and has a positive test, some of these services may not give families an allergy management plan. Therefore, with all these issues we talked about, it's best to be assessed by a clinician who is trained in paediatric allergy or who can make contact with a paediatric allergist. So for all those parents out there that are avoiding their child eating chocolate, for example, until they're 15 years old, are they potentially uh, exposing them to a possible chocolate food allergy when they're 15? <laughs> Probably not quite to that extreme, but <laughs> maybe if the cho- they're avoiding the chocolate with peanut and avoiding all peanut, yes, potentially. Right, okay. Right. <laughs> so all, all of these issues sound like really, really big issues. I've also read in the CPG that the children IgE-mediated food allergy also frequently have other atopic diseases like asthma, eczema, and allergic rhinitis. Why do you think this is? Yeah, children with food allergies may present with these issues like eczema, hay fever, and asthma. Um, These are called atopic conditions. So a child who presents one of these conditions are at risk of developing the others. doesn't necessarily mean they will, but they're at risk of having the others. Um, this could be due to genetics. So there may be a family history of allergies, but there are also likely environmental factors. As some children with allergies don't have any significant family history. There is lots of research trying to understand the why of the allergies, especially why Melbourne is one of the leading allergy capitals of the world. That doesn't sound like something to be proud of, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Um, Makes my job interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, and so with all the research and allergies, is there a way that we can prevent food allergies? Great question. You've got lots of good questions. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some strategies that may prevent food allergies. One is making sure that children with eczema are able to maintain good control of their eczema. So via our knowledge of the immune system, we believe that if small food particles are detected by the immune system from the skin, it may be flagged as foreign by the immune system. And later, when the child actually eats the food, the body reacts as if this food is the enemy through the IgE pathway we talked about and develops the allergic reactions. Therefore, maintaining a good skin barrier for example, with moisturisers and minimising any skin lesions with eczema is important. It's best not to use creams or ointments which contain food on children's skin. Um, and this includes creams based on, for example, milk, almond or coconut. Okay. The other strong research data we have is knowing that introducing allergenic foods into an infant's diet in the first year of life is likely to prevent some of these food allergies. Right. For example, if a child introduces, as we've talked about, egg or peanut later in childhood, they are more likely to develop a food allergy to these foods. And this is quite strong research in these foods in particular. Therefore, we believe this is likely to be the same for the other allergenic foods like the tree nuts. Yeah. Hence, it's important to try to introduce allergenic foods early in life, 
even in children who already have eczema or have a strong family history of allergies, um, as we may be able to prevent food allergies this way. Um, you can find more of these recommendations on the ASCIA website, and there is a guideline which is actually called Guidelines for Infant Feeding and Allergy Prevention. Okay, we'll put that, that ASCIA website in the show notes as well. And what about the, the non-IgE-mediated allergies? How does this differ with the assessment and management compared to the IgE-mediated allergies? Um, it's quite different. So there's a separate CPD on non-IgE food allergies. These are mediated by a different immune pathway Yeah, that's not IgE. Uh, and in general, uh, delayed reactions occurring hours to days after exposure to the food. Uh, symptoms mainly involve the gastrointestinal system, for example, vomiting or diarrhea. Um, these do not require allergy testing and management is mainly based on exclu- excluding the suspected food. Right. Um, these are also not at risk of anaphylaxis and are not treated with antihistamines or adrenaline. And do they get treated at all then, or is it just that they run their course? Um, most of these occur in the first 12 months of life, um, and most improve by the first years of life, or early childhood at least. I'll give a few examples. One's called food protein-induced Allergic proctocolitis, a long name, okay. <laughs> um, but very common, and not just for allergists, but for paediatricians, and occurs in the first few months of life and presents with mucus or and blood in the stools. Yep. It can be quite frightening for families, but the child is usually otherwise very well. Um, there's a small subgroup of, in this group that can be more severe and can affect their weight. Mm-hmm. And the most common cause of this is cow's milk. Yep. either coming from the formula, which are mostly based on cow's milk, or through the mother's breast milk. Right. Symptoms usually improve once you eliminate the cow's milk products um, and resolves close to 12 months of age usually. Okay. The other common one which becoming a bit more well-known, which is good, is a condition called food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, but better known as FPIES. Yep. So this condition presents with profuse vomiting, plus minus sometimes lethargy, and the child may look pale, and happens two to four, an average two to four hours after the trigger food. And they may also have some loose stools. And again, this can be quite scary for families as the child might look quite unwell. Mm-hmm. Some children with this condition require medications to stop the vomiting, and some also need fluids rehydration. So they might, many of these children do need to go to an emergency department um, and others improve without any treatment. So the most common triggers for this, con- for this condition is quite different. These are rice, cow's milk, oats and eggs. Yeah. There are many other foods that can cause this condition, but most children outgrow this by two, three years of age. Okay. And, and so moving forward, what are the plans for patients and their families? So with everything we've talked about, it's really important for families to understand which foods needs to be avoided and the type of allergy the child presents, as this would affect their management plan and also their long-term prognosis. The immediate or IgE-mediated allergies, which we initially discussed, have ASCIA allergy management plans available, which are completed by their clinician um, and used at childcare and schools. Um, This can be an allergy plan, which is green um, for the mild to moderate 
risk patients or an anaphylaxis plan, which is red, which includes having an adrenaline auto-injector or EpiPen. Right. It's important that families understand these plans and also know how to use an adrenaline auto-injector or EpiPen if they have one. Many children outgrow these allergies, but many are lifelong. For example, allergies to nuts are more likely to be lifelong allergies. Therefore, if the child is older, it's important they also understand how to manage their allergies and avoid risks, especially as teenagers, as they become more independent. Um, And particularly important that teenagers are able to discuss their allergies with their specialist. So if some of them aren't lifelong, how do they know when to start introducing them back into their diet? First ones we talked about, the IgE-mediated food allergies. Yeah. We assess them over time through skin prick tests or blood tests to see if it looks like they're outgrowing it. Yeah. And if those results start looking promising, then we look think about organising what's called an oral food challenge Yeah. where we bring them to hospital in a supervised setting and give them the food in small increment amounts to see if they've outgrown it or not. I must admit, I did that with my own children, actually. I brought them into the hospital to try them on things like nuts and that, just in case something happened. <laughs> yeah, and if the skin prick test is negative, sometimes we give families instructions to introduce it at home. And then in the delayed non-IgE-mediated allergies, these are a bit different. So these plans are mainly based on avoidance of the trigger food and don't require antihistamines or EpiPens. FPIs, though, has a specific ASCA plan. So ask your management plan that can be completed by the clinician and it can include an anti-emetic or anti-vomiting medication called ondansetron, mm-hmm. um, which can be used if the child presents with profuse vomiting. So as we mentioned before, most children in this group will outgrow their delayed type allergies um, and the allergy clinician can guide the families on when, to, when and how to introduce the foods back into the diet in a way that can be done safely and sometimes they need a supervised challenge in hospital, depending on the history. And you mentioned research in the allergy field. Can families contribute in any way? Definitely they can. <laughs> there is a, currently a large organisation which has received funding recently, which is dedicated to allergy research called NACE, uh, which stands for National Allergy Centre of Excellence, which is government funded. Um, they have four main allergy streams, which are food, drugs, insects and respiratory issues. Uh, Families, if you go onto the website, families can sign up to receive information on any upcoming studies that they may be eligible for. Okay. So we'll we'll put this website in the show notes as well, but it's nace.org.au. Paulina, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, Where can families find more information on food allergies? Families and clinicians can find more information on, one, the Royal Children's Hospital Clinical Practice Guidelines, which we've mentioned. Yep. Um, there are also parent fact sheets available. The other good website is the ASCIA website. Mm-hmm. Another website is the Allergy and Aphylaxis Australia, um, which is a big organisation which supports fa- patients and families living with allergies. Yep. And the other website to point out is the a website for teenagers living with allergies, which is a you can see the 250K website, which is on, we'll leave on the. Yeah, we'll put all of those websites in the show notes as well. So, yeah. uh, look, I must say, I think I feel like I know a lot more about food allergies uh, now than I did before. I don't have to 
no longer worry about my boys not being allergic to chocolate when they're 15 years of age. <laughs> Trust me, they eat their fair share though. Thanks again, Paulina, for, uh, for coming along today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Conversation with the Experts, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Teach, Think, Treat, where we discuss aspects related to teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting.